Have you started investing in real estate yet? If not, what are you waiting for? How many more signs do we need to throw at you? Well, guess what? We're bringing on another legend here on the podcast today, and he is going to excite you, and he's going to talk to you all about taxes. Tom Wheelwright, if you haven't heard of him, he's one of the Rich Dad Poor Dad advisors, and he is incredible. I can't wait for him to show you some of the great tax benefits that real estate investors have, and not only that, but also some of the changes to the new tax law that is going into effect. All right, I'm excited. Without further ado, let's start the show. Hey, Freedom Fighters, welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast, the only place where military members, veterans, and their families learn how to build wealth through real estate investing. I'm your host, Mike Foster, and I'm here to show you how to stop wasting your benefits. Now get off your ass, step up to the firing line, and make ready for today's lesson. Shooter, stand by. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Active Duty Passive Income Podcast. We have another legend on the show, Tom Wheelwright. How's it going, Tom? Great. I I hope I'm not so old that I'm a legend, but uh, thank you for that. (laughs) No, sir, you are definitely a legend, and there's no age range in that. I mean, (laughs) your experience precedes yourself, and I know our audience is super excited to, uh, to have you on here, especially now that we're right in the heart of tax season. Um, yeah. So, but for those of you who are not familiar with Tom Wheelwright, he is the CEO and founder of WealthAbility. He's also the author of Tax-Free Wealth, which is one of the Rich Dad Poor Dad books. And he is a legend in the tax space. He helps millions of people around the world. And Tom, we're really excited to have you here. Thank you so much for talking to our military veteran community. Oh, it, it's great to be here. And uh, just thank you. Just thank you for, for what you're doing as well. Thank you. Thank you. So, Tom, can you give us a little background on how you got started in, uh, in tax advising? Yeah, of course. So I grew up in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, and uh, when um, went to the University of Utah after I served two years as a Mormon missionary. And uh, so my buddy Robert Kiyosaki says that between uh, being in Vietnam and being a Mormon missionary in Paris, he'd rather be in Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> He said what he was doing, he thought was way easier. He was flying helicopters in Vietnam, and uh, I was uh, I was uh, selling Mormonism to Catholics in Paris. Oh man! So that was, uh, actually, my first my my first entrepreneurial, really entrepreneurial experience because I really learned all about rejection um, during those two years, right. uh, as you get door after door slammed in your face. But it was absolutely great. I, I love Parisians. I love Paris, my favorite place on earth. And uh, from there, I, I went to the University of Utah. I have a bachelor's of um, accounting and uh, from the University of Utah. And then I went to the University of Texas, where I have a master's of tax degree. And then I spent seven years with Ernst & Young, one of the, uh, actually the largest CPA firm in the world, and was there actually the last time we had major tax reform. I was in Washington, D.C., with Ernst & Young following the legislation and actually writing, helping to write the book explaining that legislation to our CPAs and our, um, and our clients around the, around the country and around the world. Wow. And then I spent uh, 
four years as the in-house tax advisor for uh, what was then a Fortune 500 company here in Arizona and spent 14 years as an adjunct professor. They actually asked me to create a new class on state and local taxation because that's a very, as we all know now, that's a very big area of tax law right now. Right. And so I did that for 14 years as an adjunct professor and uh, started my own CPA firm about actually just about 25 years ago. And uh, we're, you know, now I'm running a network of CPA firms where we have clients in 50 states and 30 countries. And as you know, I spent a lot of time uh, traveling the world with uh, a veteran, Robert Kiyosaki. And um, we, uh, we talked to people all over the world. We were in Australia last year. We were in South Africa last year. Wow. Um, we're going to be in uh, Europe this year. We're going to be in Asia this year. And uh, what's, what's fascinating is, is that wherever we go, invariably, literally, I was in Dallas last week. And somebody, I knew this was going to happen. I actually told the audience this was going to happen. Somebody's going to come up to me and say, Tom, this is great, but you can't do that here. And it, it, just, it just blows me away. Robert always laughs because that person will invariably show up. And so anytime I talk, there's always going to be somebody who says, you can't do that here. And what, the way Robert puts it, he says, you're right. You can't do that here, but I can. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. There it is. And so that experience, man, I'm telling you, that, that, is, that is awesome. There's a lot. You'd think I'd have to be 150 years old for that, wouldn't you? <laughs> Maybe, right? But no, no. I mean, you just have to be the tax god of the world, pretty much. <laughs> so that is a- Great man to accomplish things very quickly. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, I, I did only spend two and a half years in college. So I, I do tend to take you know, the short route. Oh, man, that is awesome. Two and a half years. I wish all college was two and a half years, but <laughs> but anyway, that is awesome. So, so Tom, can you, I mean, you've seen it all, right? And you understand the tax code in and out, as you have said. So can you explain to us the mindset, right, that people should have towards taxes? Because I think that people honestly see it as this bad thing, right? This thing that everyone wants to avoid, but they just hate it and they don't do anything about it until tax time. And then maybe they crunch their pennies together and see, okay, well now I have to pay this amount. Right. Yeah, the, the challenge is, is that most people equate tax law to the IRS. So tax law to tax collection mm-hmm. and uh, the tax collector is not your friend. Okay. I'm never going to tell you that the IRS is your friend. Um, that isn't, you know, we're the government, we're here to help, right? That is not the case. Right. However, the tax law is your friend. So what most people don't recognize is that, you know, there's only one line in the tax law that says, um, all income's taxable, basically, unless we say it isn't. And then there's another line that says no expenses are deductible unless we say they are. And there's a few pages of charts and tables tell you how much tax to pay. But there's 6,000 pages of tax law. And that's just the law itself. That's not the regulations, the rulings, the cases, or anything like that. There's millions and millions of those, okay? What people don't recognize is that of that 6,000 pages, 99.9% of it is really an instruction guide on how to reduce your taxes because these are all the ways the government gives us incentives for reducing our taxes. I mean, it's, it's simple. If you rent a house, from, if, if, you, if you're a renter, you get no tax break. But if you buy a house, you get a tax break. 
So that's the government saying, we would rather you buy a house. We'll give you a tax break if you buy a house. Right. Now, ironically, if you buy a house, you get a small tax break. If you build housing for a lot of people, you get a big tax break. So the more people you serve and the more you do that the government wants you to do, the actual more taxes you save. So to, to the point where you really can, you know, the, the book is called Tax-Free Wealth, and you really can get to tax-free wealth if you do what the government wants you to do. So, so what's really going on is that one way or another, we're partners with the government, okay? I mean, that is the fact, you know, look at your withholding. You have a partner that takes money out of your paycheck, and you can do nothing about it, right? So you're right. partners with the government. The question is, are you a good partner? What kind of a partner are you? And or is the government, are, are you a silent partner with the government? Or are you an active partner with the government, right? And so the government says, look, here are things we want to do either to create energy, to create jobs, to create housing. If you do these things, then we'll give you a tax break for doing them. That's your incentive to do it. Because some things have a lot of risk. For example, uh, investing in oil and gas, that's a risky investment. You're risking the price fluctuation. You're risking... Um, you're risking, is there oil there? You know, I mean, there's all, you've got environmental risks. I mean, there's all sorts of risks. And so the government says, look, if you take that risk, we'll contribute. We'll contribute so that we'll lower your risk. Right. But what it turns out, uh, the way it turns out is you actually, it's like, for example, if you're a business owner, you get to buy things on sale every day because the government's contributing towards the purchase price of what you're buying. So as long as you're following the law and you're doing what the government wants you to do, really those tax benefits, that, that's not, that's the opposite of cheating. That's actually doing exactly what the government wants you to do. Right. Exactly. And that's awesome. I mean, just the way depreciation works. I mean, Brandon was helping me out with this the other day too. And he was explaining to me, you know, some of the specifics on depreciation, right? I mean, oh my heavens! Right. Bonus depreciation—that <laughs> was amazing, isn't it? Yeah, you gotta love the Tax Cut and Jobs Act for business owners, particularly small business owners. With but the way that they've changed that—it's you know—you pretty much can pay no taxes for the first few years if you really do it right. And you're absolutely right. Uh, we're talking about being a partner with the government and doing things that they want you to do. For example, uh, they want to invest in electric uh, vehicles, so they give electric plug-in vehicle credits to individuals and business owners. They want people to buy these things to get them cheaper overall over the next couple of years. And the same thing goes for like handicapped access. You can build a handicapped access for your business, and you get a tax credit for it. Child education as well. It's awesome. the same way. So I completely agree with you as that. Awesome, man. So now all Teslas are on sale. So guys, if you're thinking well, about going actually, to buy Tesla. You know, Tesla's running out of credits. So are they running well, out? Oh, wow. Yeah. So now you got to go buy, you got to go buy a GM or a BMW. I mean, don't buy a BMW. I mean, they, they'll, they'll, my, my wife has a BMW electric car. They, they like get a hundred miles per charge. I mean, that's it. Ooh, but, no. but, you know, Tesla's over there 200,000. So now you're not going to get the, the credit, and, and, and actually that'll phase out, I think, by right. the end of the year on Tesla. But there are new car companies coming out, and guess what? Those new car companies still have those big credits. So that's a, it's a, it's a really good point. There we go. All right. So right. make sure you guys look for some of those. <laughs> that's awesome. So, Tom, so can we talk more about some of the specifics for tax benefits as they pertain to real estate investors? Oh, yeah. So real estate. So around the world um, – 
just as an FYI, around the world, real estate is the best tax shelter. And it's true in every country. It's just not as true in other countries as it is now in this country. Um, This last tax law change has made real estate, let me me tell you just how good the real estate tax benefit is. You know, a, a lot of people think, well, I've got all my money tied up in my IRA. And if I pull it out, I'm going to pay this heavy tax and this, and this 10% penalty, which is true. You, you are. And so they're going, so, so now I'm going to just buy real estate inside my, inside my IRA. Well, I never liked that idea in the first place, but mm. now it makes no sense whatsoever because you can actually get your tax benefit first year. If you, let's say you took a hundred thousand dollars out. Okay. And you took, and I just did this math yesterday. So that's why I know this. Okay. Right. So you take a hundred thousand dollars out and let's say you're going to pay 40% tax and 10% penalty. You're going, well, I'm down $50,000, right? Right. But if you take that hundred thousand dollars, borrowed 400,000 from the bank and bought a $500,000 investment property, which you could do all day long. Right. Right. Or buy five $100,000 investment properties, whatever you want to do. You, you go buy that, that investment property your first year deduction is going to is likely to be in the neighborhood of $150,000. You put $100,000 in, you get $150,000 deductions. What? Well, Brandon can run these numbers for you, but what happens is is that it's the deduction remember, if you got a $150,000 deduction, you've only got $100,000 of taxable income from your IRA. So you got $50,000 of excess deduction and that $50,000 more than makes up for the ten percent penalty. That makes up for the penalty. So you actually have this. You are net better off. This is how good real estate is, tax wise. You are net better off pulling the money out of the IRA and investing in the real estate. You're better off tax wise than if you left the money in the IRA. Wow! Oh my gosh! Like I it just it, I run the numbers. It just blows me away. That is mind blowing. That is absolutely mind blowing. So yeah, real estate so, is probably the most favorite thing as far as I'm concerned that the internal revenue code and the treasury regulations, there's so much that they protect with real estate. And it's because America relies so heavily on the real estate market to succeed in order to further the growth, and the GDP in the country. So real estate is definitely by far one of the best things. There's so many deductions. I mean, for example, you, you have rental property, you know, who's not paying self-employment tax? You. You run a business, an active trader business as a single member LLC, then you have self-employment tax. You might right. work just as much, but you're avoiding a lot of different taxes that way. That's awesome, man. Yeah, oh sure. my goodness. That is awesome. <laughs> so so for, for the military specifically, we have this thing called uh, Thrift Savings Plan, right? TSP, which is kind of like a 401k, but it's, uh, but you mean, it's same thing, right? Retirement account. So we can't right. touch it while we're in the service. But when you leave service, that's the time where you have the option to roll it over into something or to take it out and invest. So it would be better for us then, right? If, we're, if we have left the service to take it out and invest it in something like real estate, take the hit because the benefit would be better for us. Right? Well, I, I would back up just a minute, okay? If you want to invest in real estate, then investing and you want to use leverage to invest in real estate. In other words, you're not paying cash for the property. Okay. Right. One of the best benefits of real estate, of course, is leverage, right? The bank will right. lend you the money. Exactly. Well, so if you want your maximum leverage, 
and you want to invest in real estate, then yeah, I would take it out of my IRA. On the other hand, I would never do that until you got the education that you need in order to be successful in real estate. So get in there until you get educated because the worst mistake you make and talk to anybody who lost money in 2008, 2009. Okay. I'm one of those. All right. You get it. The, you do not plan on appreciation. You, you, you really focus on the cash flow. You really understand that this is about cash on cash return, right? That's what it's about. Actual cash tax benefits are a bonus, but they're not the reason to get into real estate. So, you know, you really get educated and then, yeah, I mean, real estate, but there are a lot of, okay. I, I, I know you guys love real estate. I'm going to tell you, there are a lot of ways to make money and real estate is one of them. And it happens to be right now the most tax favored. And I like Brandon's explanation. Uh, I, I'm sure it has nothing to do with the fact that we have a real estate developer in the white house, but that has nothing to do with there being massive tax breaks on real estate. Of course I mean, not. <laughs> seriously, I mean, the, the fact that, so most countries, just so you know, so most countries do not get to depreciate real estate that they bought used. Only brand new real estate gets depreciated. Well, it makes sense. Once you depreciate it once, why do you get to depreciate it over and over again? In the U.S., literally, here's what could happen. I could buy a million-dollar property. I could rent it out, hold it for a year and a day. I could then sell it to you. You could then hold it for a year and a day, sell it to Brandon, and he could hold it for a year and a day and sell it to somebody else. And each one of us would get the depreciation deduction and none of us would have to pay tax. Wow. So it's like, I mean, it's like I looked at this new law and I'm just going, are you kidding me? I mean, (laughs) you know, in 1986, the last time we had this major tax legislation, real estate got hit hard. I mean, that's way before your time. But well, real estate got, got hit. I know a little bit of it. <laughs> yeah. Real estate got hit so hard that in you know it it put an entire industry, the savings and loan industry, out of business. That tax law put the entire an entire industry out of business, uh, collapsed an industry. You know, and this year, this time, it was just the opposite. It's actually taking an industry that would normally go through major cycles and that is really at the top of a cycle right now. Right. And it's extending the cycle. That's what it's doing. Jeez, man. Oh, my goodness. Wow. <laughs> so uh, this is actually a perfect segue, I think, to some of the specifics on the, the changes, this new tax law that we're in now. Uh, but this is blown my mind. This is absolutely amazing. <laughs> can, can, we, can we talk about some of the specific changes, maybe like a few key highlights? Yeah. So, so, so the big one, like I said, is bonus depreciation. So right. bonus depreciation basically says this. When, you know, when you buy a property, you're really buying four things, right? You're buying the land, mm-hmm. you're buying the building, but you're also buying all the improvements on the land, like the fencing and the lighting and the landscaping. And you're also buying the contents of the building, you know, the window coverings and the, and the flooring and all that and, and the cabinets and all that kind of stuff. Right. All well, the specifics. Well, now <laughs> the land improvements and the contents are deductible the, the day you buy it. So a hundred percent the first year. Wow. So even if it's used property. So typically you're talking about 30%, 25 to 30% of that purchase price is probably, is probably land improvements and contents. And that means that's a 30% deduction up front, which means on that million dollar building, 
that's a $300,000 deduction. And you might have only put in $200,000 to buy it in the first place because the bank put up the rest. So there's your 150%. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's amazing. So, so now real estate is definitely so oh, much better to buy. It, it's better. It, it, it used to be that, that, that you had these great tax benefits in oil and gas and only oil and gas got these great tax benefits. Well, now, the first time in history, real estate is better the first year than oil and gas. First time wow. in history. And so you're actually getting the deduction for more than you put into the property, which is just totally blows me away. But that's bonus depreciation. But, you know, it doesn't just apply to real estate. I mean, Brandon will tell you, you're a small business owner. You go out and buy a truck for your business. You're going to, to the extent you use it for business, you can deduct it the first year, right? So you go buy an $80,000, you know, um, you know, four by four pickup that you're using only in your business, you're going to get an eighty thousand dollar deduction, even if you put nothing down, even if the even if the dealership lend loans you the entire eighty thousand dollars, right? Zero down cars is easy. No, section one seventy nine is beautiful. That's not one seventy nine. Now it's bonus depreciation, so you don't even have to rely on one seventy nine. Here's the here's the difference, just so you understand the difference. Section one seventy nine, which is what we've already relied in the past. First of all is limited to $25,000 on a truck, okay? Right. Second of all, it can't create a loss in your business. Right. But let's say you've got, you've got a, a, a business and, and that big deduction creates a loss. Now you can offset other income with it. So let's take that $80,000. You've got an $80,000 bonus depreciation. It's not one seventy nine, which is a big distinction. You've got bonus depreciation, right. $80,000. You've got a loss. Let's say it creates a loss in your business of, I don't know, $30,000. Well, now you can use that $30,000 loss to offset the wages from your spouse's business or, 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 or from, from, her, from their job. So it's all of a sudden, it's this huge deduction that you could not get before. And, uh, that's, and, and that's just on a car. So, you know, I mean, it just goes on and on. It just wow. Goes- oh, my goodness. I am literally blown away right now. This is, this is so impressive. Okay, so so bonus depreciation—that's a big one, right? Right. It's not the only one. You know, uh, the the one that a lot of people are talking about is tax rates, right? So you know, your corporate tax rate went from thirty-five to twenty-one percent. Well, most small businesses, you know, don't you and you never, by the way, never ever ever put investment real estate in a corporation. Okay, just so I'm clear, never ever ever put investment real estate in a corporation. There's all sorts of bad tax consequences when you do that. Mm. Okay. And by corporation, you're talking about a C-corp, right? Or an S-corporation, not talking about any corporation. Okay. We don't put investment real estate into a corporation. There's just nasty consequences, Got okay, it. potentially. LLC. So we, we, we use an LLC that's taxed as a partnership or even sometimes a sole proprietorship for investment real estate. But you've got these corporate tax rates went down 21%. Well, in order to get that to fly with um, certain members of Congress – they wanted a tax break for small business owners. And so what they gave them was what we call the qualified business income deduction, which is basically saying, we're only going to tax you now on 80% of your net income. That's basically what it's saying. We're only going to tax you on 80% of your net income. So we're going to give you a 20% free ride. 20% of your income from your business is not going to be taxed. 
It's not taxed. Okay. So, <laughs> I mean, it'll take it. 37% tax rate and push it down to 29.6%. That's how big that deduction is potentially. Now, just for, okay, just so everybody's clear. Here we go. All right. Knows, there are lots of details on this one. Right. Okay? Especially so once you not, hit that, that 157. What's that? It says, especially once you get past the, for the married filing joint, I think it's 157,000 on your income, then it starts to trade into like specified businesses and so on and so forth. It can get kind of tricky once it hits the phase out stage. It, it, real it estate's got so, so it's, um, and, and just to be clear, it's 157,500 for a single person and 315,000 mm-hmm. for married. Um, you know what? Most, most businesses though are not even going to be subject to that, to that rule. We, there are businesses that are literally multi, multi-million dollar businesses that are going to get this 20% dedu- deduction. Actually, I am familiar with a, with, <laughs> there, there's a very big company that will probably get as much as $100 million in tax deduction because of this tax benefit. Okay, which is nothing compared to the reduction from 35% to 21%. Okay, so, you know, Apple and Google and all those guys, they got much bigger tax breaks than this one. Right. right? They effectively got a 40% tax reduction. Jeez. 40%, right? 35 to 21. I mean, a huge, huge, huge tax reduction. Small businesses got a 20% tax reduction. Still not bad. Right. Guess what? The people who are employees... Not only did they not get not get those additional tax breaks, they actually lost tax breaks. For example, mm-hmm. used to be able to deduct moving expenses when you change jobs, no more. Used to be able to deduct investment expenses, no more. Used to be able to deduct tax preparation fees, no more. Yep. Used to be able to deduct all your state income tax and real estate tax. Now that's limited to ten thousand dollars. So there's a lot of limitations that were put on on wage earners that were not put on professional investors and business owners. Right. And guys, if you are not familiar with the cash flow quadrant, you need to get very familiar with that now, like yesterday, right? I mean, Tom is literally telling you that business owners and investors is where you need to be. That's pretty much where it is. Well, it, you know, it, 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 you get to choose, right? I mean, you want to pay high taxes, then, you know, you can be an employee. Or, even Self-employed people, by the way, can even get hit harder. I mean, they get, because they've got self-employment tax and they've got also, you know, that's something that you can deal with. But as, a, as an individual employee, I mean, you know, I mean, the, the, the good news is rates went down and, and child credits went up and the standard deduction went up. But um, there's not a lot you can do to change your tax situation if you're just a W-2 employee and, and you're not going to become an investor or a business owner. Absolutely. And we've spoken about this on the podcast many times. Um, there have been links to the cash flow quadrant. I'll make sure there's one in the show notes page here as well. Uh, but guys, you definitely need to get familiar with it. Remember, we're talking about the four types of people, right? Of, of uh, yeah, people. Four ways to earn income, right? Em- employee, right. self-employed, big business, and professional investor. Exactly. Um, it's, a, that's a, it's a great book. You know, it's one of Robert uh, Kiyosaki's best books. It was actually the second one in the series after Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And um, I, I'm on his uh, radio show 
fairly frequently. And we always get, um, at the end of the radio show, they always do Ask Robert, and they always say, what's your favorite book? And I would say a good portion of the time, it's Cashflow Quadrant, because it's, it's, um, it's, it's really eye-opening as to the difference between what happens the way you earn the money. And certainly from a tax standpoint, the way you earn your money has a huge impact on how much tax you pay. Absolutely does. Absolutely does. And, and I've, I'm sorry, but you talk about it in your book too, right? So, I mean. Well, no, can, of course. Yeah. So well, you can get it from his book. Well, well, my book is a rich dad advisor book. So. <laughs> True, exactly. So it's all in the same anyway. So regardless of where you get this information, make sure you get this information guys, because it's absolutely valuable. Um, wow, Tom, thank you so much. All right. So we've got a couple, um, maybe specific questions to, to some stuff. Sure. I think Brandon had a question. Brandon, you want to go? Right. Yeah. So mine was actually in relation to the qualified business income 20% deduction, uh, in particular with real estate. So this is going to work out as a good platform for this. Uh, I know a lot of people that will own real estate rental property and they'll have like their cousin or their brother or somebody uh, help them out to kind of maintain the property while they're out doing their thing, especially with their active duty. Uh, I guess the one of the things that's kind of murky is that with the qualified business income deduction, uh, the real estate uh, investor, the owner of the property, has to have the 250 hours of, which essentially is uh, active participation. However, if you have someone that would be a relative who would assume be indirectly owning the business, are, does that hours still work towards the owner of the property? Well, the, the idea is, is that it, it needs to be an active investment. So that, that's really the idea behind these regulations is um, they were trying to figure out how do we give a bright line test so that we don't include triple net leases. So for those of you who don't know what a triple net lease is, this is a, a, a lease where basically the, the, the tenant pays all of the expenses except for the mortgage. Okay. So a, a good example is Walgreens. You know, if, if you want to, uh, Walgreens it doesn't own any of their real estate. They go find a corner, they build the property, they buy the real estate, um, they buy the land, they build the, the store, and then they sell it to an investor and lease it back for 30 years. And they do it on a triple net lease. Well, that's not going to qualify for this qualified business income deduction. Now, here's what's interesting. For investors who use leverage, they're never going to get the qualified business income deduction anyway because they're going to always have a loss. And the reality is, in my mind, if you, are, if you don't have a loss from your real estate, you're doing something wrong. So if you actually are qualified for the qualified business income deduction, you're, I think it's a mistake. So that's, that's, that, that's my take on it. I mean, real estate is such a good tax shelter. Why, are you, why do you have taxable income from it? That is a great point. That's a really good point. And guys, again, leverage, right? We were talking about that same thing, using other people's money, right? Yep. To build your own lifestyle and your income. I mean, come on, that's, that's it. Um, so we already talked about um, putting your properties in LLCs, right? Versus as corporations, C-corporations. Sure. Sure. Now, the military has a very specific thing where we move around from base to base. It's right. around the country, sometimes around the world. Um, but one of the questions is, is it better to put all of your properties into one LLC or is it better to have them in separate LLCs? So that's a legal question. I'm not an attorney. I will tell you what my attorney friends tell me. Okay. okay. I think it's a very personal decision because 
really what you're doing is the, the goal is to protect your assets from a lawsuit, right? That's the goal. And so the reason for an LLC is because you're trying to protect the assets in the LLC from a lawsuit against you personally. That's the reason you use an LLC. That's one of the primary reasons. Now, anything that's in the LLC, you know, let's say you have a slip and fall right on your property. And by the way, just um, if you ever look up in, in the dictionary, you look up the word tenant and you'll see the definition just as plaintiff. Plaintiff, Really? <laughs> wow. Because, because every, Every real estate investor eventually gets a lawsuit. Every single wow. one. All right. <laughs> I, had, I had a great tenant. He was a terrific tenant until he lost his job. And then he lost his job. And all of a sudden, he was telling me that he hurt his knee uh, walking up the steps to his house. Right. And wow. he'd, he'd actually, he'd been in that same house for three years until all of a sudden, oh, I hurt my knee because this is out of code. Right. I mean, that's the kind of thing that happens. So right. the, the idea of the LLC is that um, they're going to sue the LLC, right? That's because that's who owns the property. Right. Well, if you have a lot of different properties in that same LLC, then really, then they could get any of those properties, right? They, they could force a sale of any or all of those properties. And so that's why some people like to break out um, their real estate into a, a number of different LLCs. And it's just an, it's just to protect them in case of a lawsuit. Now, you know, what's the chance of a lawsuit? Well, the chance of a lawsuit, if you're a serious real estate investor at some time in your life is probably close to hundred percent. Mm. Okay. You know, any one property who knows, right? But you, you know, if you're a serious real estate investor, if you own 10 or more properties, chances are at some point in time, unless you're really lucky, you're going to get sued. And I don't know if there's a whole lot you can do about not getting sued, but what you can do, you put in the LLC and then make sure that you've got good insurance coverage because the best thing about insurance coverage, and I'm talking about like an umbrella policy. I'm sure you've talked about this on your show. The best thing about this umbrella policy is what you get with it is not just coverage. You get an attorney from the insurance company to handle things. You get the adjuster from the insurance company to handle things. So the same guy who um, complained about, you know, slipping and falling, um, property manager talk. I mean, I, I didn't property manager talks to the insurance company. Insurance company has an adjuster. I get one call from the insurance company and never hear about it again. It's done. Well, it's because I've got the insurance company covering my back. So, you know, you, you do have to have insurance. I like both the LLC and the insurance, but I'm saying that as a, as a, as a real estate investor, I'm not saying, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that as an attorney because I'm a- not talking. That's completely fine. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Absolutely. That's awesome. Okay, cool. Um, so one of the other question, questions we want to ask is um, what can real estate investors do right now? And I know we've already spoken about a lot of other things, but from the simple, right? What can investors do right now to reduce some of their, their taxes? Like, What are some of the key mistakes that people make? Um, um, well, I'll tell you one. A, a big one is, is not claiming a home office. I mean, that's actually a really big one. Uh, a lot of tax preparers um, warn people away from home office because they say, oh, this is a red flag. Well, I will tell you, in 1996, this was a red flag. But in 1997, it, it stopped being a red flag. So that was over 20 years ago. Wow. So unfortunately, what happens in our industry is that um, the old guys like me, right, 
a lot of them don't keep up on the law. And so they remember that this was an issue because they were taught by their mentor this was an issue. And then they pass it on to young guys like Brandon that, hey, this is, a, this is an issue. You shouldn't, you know, warn away from home office. That's a red flag. Well, if you do it right, if actually you do it the way the IRS wants you to do it, they don't even know you have a home office. There's no place to report home office if it's done properly. Okay. Mm, so okay. it's only if you don't, you know, it's only if you're lazy and you report it on your schedule E and you don't have, you know, a partnership, you don't have a separate tax return. That's the only time you're going to report it anyway. Well, here's what happens. So you're losing all these deductions of the home office, but on top of that, you're probably reducing the amount of tax benefit from your car. And the reason is because the first, the first trip you take during the day is a non-deductible commute. It's a personal expense. And the last trip home is a non-deductible trip. It's a non-deductible commute. Okay, but if you have a home office, your commute's 30 feet. So that's your first trip and that's your last trip. And that's according to the IRS instructions, by the way. What? I'm telling you what the IRS says. That is amazing. So, so most people, if they had a home office, they'd increase their automobile deduction. They'd probably double their automobile deduction simply by having a home office. So I think, you know, to me, that's a really big one. You know, I mean, there are others like education and, and, and meals. Meals, by the way, you may have heard that meals are no longer deductible. They are. They're still deductible. Um, okay. and you know, you just have to have a business you, a business purpose and, and, and have a discussion and, and, uh, it's, and it really has to be a real, you know, something that's going to help improve your business. But I'll tell you what, I haven't met very many people that had discussions at dinner that were real estate investors that had, um, that went out with their spouse to dinner and didn't have a business discussion that helped their business. So, you know, this is sometimes, sometimes date night becomes a business meeting and it does legitimately. I mean, you know, my wife's a CPA, so we talk about taxes all, all the time during, during dinner. It's very exciting. There you go. I'm sure. (laughs) I will say that is much different than my discussions. Uh, My wife is not a CPA. She's a preschool teacher. So I don't get to talk taxes at dinner. Yeah, but see, here's the thing with you, Brandon. So my, uh, my first wife was a music teacher. She taught um, five speckled frogs, right? And so she had no, uh, her only interest in money was spending it. However, what I found was is that she was really good at giving me a perspective of the average person, okay, that wasn't. And so I would run business stuff by her all the time. And I I found it actually very, very useful to have a sounding board that was somebody that wasn't in business, that that, that didn't have that. So I don't think the fact that you're, you, you know, your wife teaches preschool necessarily precludes some of those discussions from being tax deductible meals. All right. Awesome. And hey, yeah. And hey, guys, for those of you who maybe your spouse is not necessarily on board yet, you know, talking about some of these things and maybe trying to get them exactly. on board or just or just asking them certain advice. Right. I mean, that is awesome. That, that's a good way to do it. Right. That's a good but way if I'm not mistaken, too, in the, in the language for the Internal Revenue Code for meal deduction, it doesn't even say that you have to receive income as a result of that business discussion for the meal entertainment to be deductible. You, you don't. It, 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 there's, there's, four, there's four tests that you have to meet. It, there has to be a business purpose, which is the easiest one to meet. Um, it has to be ordinary, which means that it would be typical for you to have that kind of a discussion in your business and typical amount of money. You can't go buy a $3,000 bottle of wine. Yeah. 
and it has to be um, necessary, which means that the purpose of the of the meal, the purpose of the discussion was to improve your business. Okay. It doesn't have to directly result in a, you know, in additional money, but it does have to have a, it has to be, look, I'm, I'm going to make more money from having these kinds of discussions. This is going to expand my market or this is going to improve my profitability. And then the fourth one, of course, which is actually should be the first one is documentation. You have to document it. These days, what I, what we found with the IRS is that they are more concerned with documentation than with the law. If you don't have the documentation, they don't even get into the law. They don't even care. Mm-hmm. And so they will always start with the documentation. And some of the IRS auditors, okay, um, don't understand anything about the law. And so they're only going after documentation. I've seen that in an audit where they had no clue on the law. They went after the documentation. In this case, the taxpayer had all the documentation. So they ended up with no change, even though, even though there were a couple of things in there that they probably should have discovered. Now, as a taxpayer, you're under no obligation to alert them to those things. Right. You know, if they're, if they're, if they're not black and white, if they're black and white, you should be alerting the, the IRS. But if they're not black and white, you know, there's, there's no reason to bring up a, you know, don't muddy, muddy the water. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. That is fair. Awesome, man. Well, Tom, thank you so much for the nuggets of wisdom that you've given us on this show. This has been absolutely yeah, amazing. We, uh, and we know you're a busy man, so we want to get you out. But we've got three last questions, if that's okay with you. Go for it. Just so our uh, audience can kind of get to know you on a personal level. So we've got, what is your favorite book? Oh, my favorite book. Hmm. Um, my, my favorite book is, um, oh, it's a tough one. It's right now, it's The Power of Now. Right now, it's The Power of Now. By Eckhart Tolle. Yeah, Phenomenal. Exactly. Phenomenal book. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, we've we definitely uh, we actually heard that from uh, from Robert when we had him on the show too. Oh, there you go. Well, he's the reason I've been reading it, right? <laughs> yeah, so. he says the whole team reads it, so that's great. We do. We we we've been studying it. All right, awesome. Uh, next one is uh, who is your biggest hero and why? Um, you know, my boy, that's a tough one. <laughs> um, Get him the tough ones. I, I I actually think my biggest hero is my mother. Um, she, uh, she was brilliant. She, uh, she's not, she passed away several years ago. Mm. Uh, absolutely brilliant. She learned to read when she was four, could read upside down as well as right side up. Wow. Was a speed reader, graduated from high school, um, at 16 and, um, raised six kids and was just, and, and she was the controller for my dad's printing company. And oh, wow. she, she was just, she was a very good, we were friends. She was um, not your typical mother. Um, she's, you know, not the one where you go to with, you know, all your scrapes and bruises. I mean, she did that, but, you know, I, I'd more likely go to her with a, you know, a, a literary question or, wow. you know, you know, how do I handle this or something like that. She's mm-hmm. just, um, she had a very big perspective on life. She always felt like, for any single question, there were probably 50,000 answers and we probably only looked at three of them. Wow. <clears throat> that is awesome. Oh man. And amazing woman to have produced an amazing gentleman such as yourself, sir. So that's, it's impressive. Uh, last question. If you have three nuggets of wisdom to share for those who are looking to get started in investing, what would you uh, offer them? sir? Oh, first of all, get educated. I mean, uh, first and foremost, get educated. Uh, don't don't be doing this without the education. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, second of all, I would say that uh, don't be afraid of it. Um, it. It's you know it's it's not something to be afraid of. And and to that to that um, point, I would say the third one is is that nobody cares more about your wealth than you you do, and nobody can build your wealth like you can. And so that's actually why we chose the name WealthAbility for our company is it's your ability to create wealth. And the big lie on Wall Street is that you're not smart enough to handle your finances, so you should turn your money over to them. And that's just a lie. Mm-hmm. And you just need to know that that's a lie intended to separate you from your money. So you have total ability. You actually end up with less risk if you control your investments. You end up with lower taxes if you control your investments and you end up with much higher returns if you control your investments and, and you get to control them. I mean, I'm the youngest of six children. Control is a good thing when you're the youngest of six. So right. um, you know what? I, I just think that you can, you can do it. That's what I would say. You can do it. Outstanding. Tom, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Uh, and we want to ask what's next for you. So we are building, um, and Brandon, I would love to talk to you about this. We are building a network of CPA firms around the world um, to, to actually um, help their clients. And, and I, am, I am training this network. And we just started this last year. And uh, our eventual goal is 10,000 CPAs around the world. And uh, because we really want to change the way people look at taxes, the way people look at money. And the way to do that is through the CPAs because that's their, you know, a, a person's most trusted uh, financial advisor is going to be their, their, um, you know, their CPA, their tax advisor. So we are building that network and that's, um, that's, that's where my, all my energy is going. Amen. All right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd love to talk to you about that. Yeah, absolutely. Give us a call, Brandon. I, I'm on the same. Sounds good. Yeah. Cause I'm on the same base with you. I think too many people are afraid of taxes to try to understand it. And if you could change that perspective, yep. uh, you're doing your clients a lot of justice. Amen. Agreed. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. So, all right. So thank you so much, Tom. How can our guests get in touch with you? So just, just go to our website. We have a, a, an amazing website, wealthability.com. Right. It's just wealthability.com. And uh, it, it's a terrific website. I, I certainly, of course, I'm a little prejudiced, but I highly recommend Tax-Free Wealth um, for the book to read. It is yep. the book. I, I Everybody tells me it is the book to read on taxes. It's very simple. It's um, it basically, I get to tell a lot of stories in that book, and it's a lot of fun. And it's been updated. It's in a second edition, so it's been updated for the new law. Okay, awesome. Cool. Guys, make sure you go check that out, and there will be links to all of the ways to contact uh, Tom and his team on the show notes page. Tom, thank you so much again. I really, really cannot thank you enough. This has been so hey. valuable. Awesome. Thank you, guys. All right. It was a pleasure meeting you, Tom. Thank you. You too, Brandon. Wow. So incredible. Thank you so much, Tom, for your help with the podcast. And thank you, Brandon, for coming on as well. Guys, if you have not gotten started yet, you definitely need to. Such amazing wisdom here. And not only are there amazing entrepreneurial benefits, but there are tax benefits as well to be had in real estate. So you definitely want to educate yourself and get started on this journey now before it's too late. Okay, if you're ready to start, make sure you check out www.activedutypassiveincome.com. 
hit up our Start the Spark Club, our forum, right? Or make sure that you sign up for our academy if you know that you are ready to learn how to build wealth through real estate investing. Let us help you out. We are passionate about this, as you already know, and we are committed to delivering you everything that you need to succeed. All right? I'm out of time, guys. Time for me to get out of here. Catch you later.